the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you're joining us right now, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and I want to thank you for taking the time, as always, to listen to us. And obviously, uh, those of you who are interested in knowing more about this show, you can always go to our archive in our website, for instance, at sierrainternational.com. And Sierra is C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A international.com. You can also uh, visit us on soundcloud.com forward slash let dash us dash reason. And you can always uh, visit the archive through KPXQ 1360 as well under Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi. Uh, in any way uh, you want to listen to us, we appreciate you and we encourage you to share uh, this show with others. Uh, in fact, my Facebook is uh, on fire lately by interactions related to this show and other uh, uh, post uh, questions as well. And the Facebook is uh, forward slash alfadi.sira, C-I-R-A. So uh, you have a variety of ways to connect with us, reach out to us and communicate with us. Uh, today, uh, we are going to talk about a topic that we've talked about in the, pa- in the past. In fact, we're going to revisit this topic, which is the topic of the Muslim uh, idiom translation, and uh, MIT, that's the acronym used for the translations of the Bible, the Scripture, that are geared towards Muslim audience. And the intent behind it, at least on the surface, when it's presented to many people who, by the way, there is a lot of people in the Christian community that are totally in the dark about what this actually means. It sounds interesting. It sounds appealing. It sounds really a valuable tool. But once you start digging deeper into the methodology itself, unfortunately, many troubling things become uh, uh, basically come to the surface and, uh, and become a hindrance to the process rather than a solution to the problem of evangelism to the Muslims. The idea is, simply put, take terminologies in the Bible and utilize Islamic contextualized terminologies to make the Muslim audience at least more receptive of the gospel. Now, this sounds interesting when you think about it, because this means that a Muslim can understand the Bible much better and the gospel much better. But sadly, the process actually involved more than just doing so. It involves changing the Word of God. And I'm not going to dig deeper into this because I have with me uh, a guest speaker, a dear brother, John Spann, uh, who him and his family worked for almost 15 years in a Muslim-majority context in West Africa and in the Middle East. And he's really a keen observer 
of Islam and developments in the mission field and is now doing his Ph.D. on how Christians have Christianized the Quran. Yes, you've heard me correct. How Christians have Christianized the Quran. In other words, this is another topic that I'm also myself is in the middle of it right now, in the thick of that topic, which is Christians and Christian missionaries would love really to take the Quran and just force Jesus and the gospel into it, when in fact it's the message actually, as we know it from the Bible, is not there. John, uh, thank you, brother, for joining me, and uh, hopefully I introduce you correctly here in terms of your background. Please feel free to add more. Well, Al, that's, uh, that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you. It's a privilege to be on your show today, and uh, <clears throat> trust that it will be beneficial to your listeners, because uh, as I made an introduction in one of my articles, ideas really do have consequences and I hope that that can come across today, if nothing else. Amen. And, and uh, you know, John, as you know, brother, uh, this is a deep topic. We're not going to be able to cover it in one show. So thank you for agreeing to do two episodes with us this week and next week. And uh, to my listeners, uh, this is part one of this deep topic. And join us again next week for the continuation of this particular uh, topic itself. Now, uh, John, the article that I'm looking at, which at least is the guide for this discussion, is called The Mother of the Books, a Case Study of the Consequences of a Seminal Muslim Idiom Translation. Brother, that's a mouthful of things. Could you explain it to our audience, please? Sure. Uh, well, you know, of course, um, what um, al-Kitab means uh, from an Islamic uh, standpoint, that is to say the belief that uh, there's this uh, text in golden text in heaven that's preserved since eternity and that it was um, brought down by the angel Gabriel to uh, uh, Muhammad and that then that became the Quran, etc. And what I'm doing with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, use of that is to say that the David Owen Life of Christ or Life of the Messiah or Sirat al-Masih is actually a seminal or the mother of many daughters of a similar kind of genre and that that spawned many of these ideas for these Muslim idiom translations. What I tried to do is to go upstream to go back to the source and say, where are these people getting these ideas from? And what was the major text that influenced their development of these, especially in the 90s and the uh, early 2000s? Wonderful. Wonderful. And, and, and just I, wanna, I want my audience to uh, understand what's going on here. The terminologies that my brother is using here are intentional. When he's saying Sirat al-Masih, that's how Muslims, by the way, identify the biography of Muhammad, and they call it Sirat Rasulullah meaning uh -huh. the biography of Muhammad. In fact, I named my ministry, Sira, intentionally because I want to draw more Muslims to my website so that we can share the gospel with them because the tendency for them to think this is about Muhammad. Now, notice we are using an Islamic terminology in the case of David Owen here, uh, uh, Owens, and we are spinning it around and making the gospel look Islamic. In addition, the mother of the books really is a term applied to the Quran in the Quran, meaning the Quran is the mother of all books. In fact, Muslims will take it to the next level and say, 
Everything in the history of mankind that was revealed by God to people through prophets is part of the Quran, and the Quran as we know it today, today is the pinnacle of all of this. Now, brother, why did you write this uh, article? Well, as I said, I, I started seeing that um, translations um, that were put out, for instance, in Ethiopia or in, in Bangladesh, uh, leaned very, very heavily on this particular uh, rendition of the life of Christ. And in fact, one person who is quite active behind the scenes, his name is Jeff Hayes. Jeff Hayes actually showed in a diagram the influence that th these this particular text had on these subsequent Muslim idiom translations. Uh, when my Bangladeshi brothers protested against an Islamized gospel of Mark, it was kind of shoved down their throats. Well, take it or leave it, because this is supposedly good for you. In fact, the Bible Society in Bangladesh had to say, no, we don't want this kind of garbage being exported from the West. Uh, but yet, go back upstream and hear this, this text has influences uh, it occurred, it's been found in Nigeria. You can get it online today. In fact, one of the promoters of it, uh, <clears throat> a denominational missionary, kind of brags that right now uh, 2,000 hard copies are being sold of something, believe it or not, that was banned by Islamic authorities because they said it looked so much like a pseudo-Quran, and they said it was a subversive piece. So they, they had the brains to ban it, and yet Christians, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, with their noble intentions, but somewhat zeal without knowledge, they promote, they continue to promote it. Yeah, I, I can see, brother, uh, how many fundraising campaigns are used now based on this ban alone, but uh, we're not going to venture into there. Sure. Never, nevertheless, brother... Um, uh, what did, did you hope to accomplish through this article? I mean, obviously, I want to encourage people to go and read it. It's, uh, by the way, you can find this article in the Journal of Global Christianity. In fact, it's published on Volume 3, Issue Number 1, February 2017, and search under the name John Spann, and the title again is The Mother of the Books, A Case Study of the Consequences of a Seminal Muslim Idiom, Translation, what were you hoping to accomplish? What I wanted to do was actually to, to, by means of this case study, to find out what factors actually were brought into play in order to cause this book to come into existence, and then say, what lessons can the global church take from these, in, these things that flowed into the book? Let's for instance, uh, David Owen was kind of a freelance um, um, missionary, if you want to call it that. And he had this idea, <clears throat> said, hey, I can take uh, Tatian's diatessaron, that is to say a, a harmony of the Gospels, and I can Islamize it. And I can actually start a movement within Islam. Okay, so he took this idea, developed a bit. Then he went to his church in um in the States and said, I've got this great idea. So the church contributed. Then a mission agency said, yeah, we'll kick in some funds. 
Then another missionary from uh, another organization said, I'll promote it for you within Israel. Israel was actually where this all developed. He worked together with a uh, Palestinian poet to develop uh, this uh, this work. And so then, but even prior to that, uh, Owen had studied at Fuller Seminary uh, in the 70s. At that time, he was already going to the mosque, and I would say flirting with what I would call the seductive spirits of Islam. Um, sorry if that offends you, Al, but uh, it seemed to me that he was getting pulled in to the Islamic spirit. Uh, <clears throat> he did that, then went on, and at that time, of course, in the 70s, contextualization experiments were largely encouraged at, at Fuller. Um, it's no surprise that um, Phil Parshall's doctoral thesis, New Paths in Muslim Evangelism, uh, and these new paths he came to regret later on in some articles where he said, maybe we've just gone way too far. So Owen was picking up ideas already there at Fuller, and then it I think he was strongly encouraged by others who were saying, yeah, this contextualization, this radical experimentation, go for it. Like, hey, the sky's the limit. And he became kind of a guru in that area. One of the, the eyewitnesses who lived in that area said, like, he was the go-to man, kind of a guru. And I wonder if something kind of turned in his head. Yeah. Well, you know, brother, uh, I will not be surprised because uh, once you dabble with Islam and you begin to show affinity towards that spirit, unfortunately, you're dealing with something much bigger uh, than we can even discuss here. But, uh, you know, we, we pray for the brother. Uh, we know that he started with good intentions, but uh, still give, give my audience an example that caused you to be troubled. For instance, I mean, I'm looking at something right now. I want to read and maybe you can add to it or add another example. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, using the NASB uh, translation, it reads, And behold, this is the, basically the uh, baptism of our Lord. It says, and behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let me, let me stop here and tell people, the word beloved Son to a Muslim is very problematic because uh, the idea that God has a son means he has a wife and there is a physical relationship between God the Father and uh, God the Mother and both of them uh, basically consummated a marriage and a result of it producing a son. That's not what the Bible teaches. But taking this into consideration, look how the David Owens translation or the spirit of David Owens translation will lead you to say, this is the beloved. Notice there is no son anymore. This is the beloved and we are very, uh, very pleased with him. Now, there's a big difference, brother, between beloved son and the beloved. Absolutely, because you well know, know that the beloved is a frequent uh, appellation or a, a name given to uh, Muhammad. So uh, when you have the beloved son, son of the father, uh, as part of the Trinity, of course, right in that Matthew uh, passage, we have the Trinity, uh, the father, uh, saying this to the Son and the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. What we have 
in this translation here is something very, very ambiguous. The beloved, he, it, 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 it's, there's no trinity here. And then at the end of it, he calls this little, what he called kind of surah, he calls it dove 26. So he gives, he calls each of these parts of the life of Christ something very akin to uh, the um, to the Quran. He it calls it dove or, and just as in the Quran, of course, you have the family of this and you have the cow and you have, you know, these, these names. Well, here you have dove. And then he even put a, an occasion of revelation before that. So you can see how this is becoming very Islamized. Absolutely. And let me uh, also emphasize what my brother says. The beloved Al-Habib uh, in Islam, it's a reference to Muhammad. Uh, I wonder if my audience know that Muslims will be quick to tell you that Muhammad is in the Bible. And there you have it. We have professional translators of the Bible actually playing along with this assumption. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and, and and so Owen is, is I believe, he's just, he's, the spirit of Islam has in some way started to take, take, take him, take over him. Uh, and that to me is very, very problematic. And secondly, that others want now to stand on his shoulders. Right. And it's all based on, you know, if we unbuild it or build it, they will come. If we build this Muslim-friendly translation, they will come. The, the big, big issue, actually, is that it assumes, contrary to the Word of God, that if you package spiritual things in the correct way, this will cause the unregenerate or person who is not yet in Christ, person to apprehend spiritual things whereas in corinthians it says the unspiritual man cannot and will not apprehend spiritual things this flies in the face of what we know about the state of those outside of christ absolutely and uh, my brother john here did an excellent job there is like a chart that will show you how far this idea spread from jerusalem sadly sadly it's almost like taking acts 1 8 and starting from Jerusalem all the way to 27 unidentified non-Arabic-speaking Muslims. Uh, you know, that's that's taken the Great Commission reversing it, basically, unfortunately. Now, brother, I noticed that it went all the way to Nigeria, and you worked with the Fulanis. I mean, what was their perception, by the way, of something like this? Yeah, I, I, I actually worked farther over in West Africa, but the person who worked with some Fulani elders, she spoke so highly of it that this was just the perfect stepping stone between kind of a bridge between Islam and the gospel. Uh, and of course, she, she, um, she, believe it or not, and I kept her anonymous because she requested that, she was a classmate of David Owen. So same thing, but it, she was so enamored with the fact that this bridge could work and of course, that's another part of the whole problem here, this pragmatic kind of approach that says, well, if it works or appears to work, it's got to be good. 
And let me just, uh, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my heart here as a former Muslim from an Arab-speaking uh, country, Saudi Arabia, uh, the Middle East. Um, this is a movement, part of what we call the insider movement, which I did multiple shows on. And I want to let my audience hear this. The reason why the insider movement exists and why they do this MIT, the Muslim Idiom Translation, is their idea that Western missionaries need to take a step back and enable the indigenous Muslim converts to really be the leaders of their church. Yet, who's given these ideas? Westerners. <laughs> that's amazing to me. That's, that's a new kind of colonialism. You've got to admit it. It's, it's, to me, it's very, very patronizing. Um, it, you know, the, God has given us the global church and the wisdom of the global church to uh, to learn from each other. The, the entire church needs each other. It does not just need some idealists who happen to come from one seminary in California who has some ideas on contextualization and then propagate that. Right. In fact, in fact, one of my Egyptian colleagues. It was a painful question that uh, she asked. She says, John, why do we in Egypt accept everything that comes from the West so uncritically? Uh, and I said, well, that's a big question. I said, I wonder if it has this hangover of the colonial era where the colonialist, the colonial powers went to these countries and said, look, you guys really don't have any brains. Uh, we have the brains, we have the resources, we need to do the thinking for you because we are the white gods. And that there seems to be a hangover of that still. And, you know, if my advice to anyone who's thinking about going on missions or has gone on short-term mission trips, please lobotomize this idea that you are some kind of white god who can, who can save the, the, the dark-skinned locals. It is so toxic. And David Owen's ideas are actually exemplary, exemplify this kind of attitude. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we have about three minutes left for uh, today's episode. And obviously, we'll come back and revisit this. In fact, next time, I would like to start by talking about any uh, debates that were waged against this idea prior to, for instance, you and others getting involved also recently. Like, for instance, we have the seedbed editor, um, Samuel, um, his last name I always uh, uh, basically uh, torture. Uh, I think it's uh, Schlorf. Yeah. Schlorf. Schlorf, yes. And he was, I believe, uh, if my memory serves me right, he was involved with Arab World Ministries. Um, but, exactly. But nevertheless, we want to talk about those efforts and also continue with our questions. But, brother, anything else uh, in the next maybe two minutes you would like to really add to at least this introduction to this particular project that was named Project Sunrise? Yeah, it, that's kind of a... It, it, the darkness actually rose with it. Um you know, you, you alluded to the fact that this Sira genre or the life of Muhammad, uh, the biography genre, uh, is, is being used by Owen. It's curious that he's trying to put forth the scriptures, which we see as inspired literature, not just literature, but the word of God written. And he's using a genre which Muslims themselves do not see as inspired. 
there seems to be a contradiction in terms here. Absolutely. In fact, I want to tell you a, a secret about me. Um, I'm, I'm a man full of secrets. I, <laughs> one time in my seminary years, I wanted to do a test. I took the biography of Muhammad, and I wrote one chapter, literally, using biblical lingo, thus says, and things like that. And I gave it to my Greek professor and my theology professor for their opinion. They tossed it in the garbage. They said, what you're doing is wrong. And then when I explained to them why I was doing it, then they understood that I was trying to test and see if these things are acceptable. And that was the first time I exposed them to the idea of the insider movement, which, you know, they didn't really sometimes understood deeply what it meant. And it was certainly a surprise to them. So if we cannot accept things like this, why would we expect the Muslims to accept things like this? Well, our time is up for today. Thank you, uh, John, for joining us here, brother, and uh, thank you to my audience who are listening to us. This is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and with me here was our dear brother, John Spann. We're talking about something called the Muslim Idiom Translation and a specific project called Siratul Masih, which we will revisit again in part two next week. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.